This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, January 5th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, San Miguel Power readies for federal funding. Public health to roll out new family planning services. This Friday, a movable feast on the valley floor. And a mountain weather forecast. Last session, Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA. Squeaking through on the slimmest of margins, the bill was signed into law by President Biden in August. The IRA follows the similarly massive IIJA, the Infrastructure Investment in Jobs Act, which passed back in November of 2021. The two bills provide an enormous chunk of funding to guide the country's renewable energy transition. That funding will trickle down through state and federal levels and could eventually end up here in San Miguel County. Terry Schuler, an accounts executive at the San Miguel Power Association, says SMPA is asking how to get and use those funds. So what is SMPA doing to address this this myriad of, of possible funding opportunities? Well, we started by conducting a number of outreach meetings with various key agencies, both federal and state. Um, and realize that the 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 volume and the, the opportunity range is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, and we didn't have staff on board to really attend to the you know untangling of all this. So we've added resources. One of those resources is Sean Hart, an energy consultant who works with Eco Action Partners, and will come on board to assist with SMPA grant writing. Schuler says he's going to be working with us to um, aggregate and untangle some of these opportunities, come up with timelines and time horizons and and help us point to where the opportunities are best suited to some of the programs that we already have in place and help us look at new programs. We've also interviewed um, a a grant writer that uh, lives here in our membership territory who has a lot of experience with USDA grants. Schiller presented on these federal grant opportunities to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners in their first meeting of the new year. The commissioners reached out to SMPA wondering how the local utility planned to take advantage of the incoming renewable energy funding. Schuller says SMPA is ready to apply, but is still waiting on details from the agencies issuing the funds. And the guidelines are just not published yet. So we have Sean and ourselves and Tri-State all anxiously looking at these opportunities and waiting uh, more clarity on how to actually apply for them and, and where they would be applicable to, to the projects and the programs that we have in place and or plan to put in place. While the IRA is still too new to have released its full set of guidelines, the IIJA, which passed over a year ago, is coming more clearly into view. Here's Schiller. Uh, but in terms of federal grant opportunities, the, the one that uh, we have begun to work with is the IIJA, which is Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funding. We've actually submitted uh, three concept papers to date. The due date was before the end of the year. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show you those here in a moment. As it awaits federal funding, SMPA is evaluating locations for renewable projects locally, primarily solar ones. We are continuing to explore up to two megawatts of new community solar gardens. Uh, we've, in fact, we've um, explored nine separate sites, mostly focused on Uray counties and San Miguel County, uh, that require that they have good solar exposure, close access to three-phase line interconnects for, for cost reductions, and low to no-cost land lease options. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper says she is encouraged by SMPA's approach to the historic level of renewable energy funding. 
all of these dollars are certainly a one-time opportunity investment. We are pretty much 99% sure we will not have an opportunity like this again, maybe even in our lifetimes, uh, to take advantage of this amount of funding that is coming down um, through uh, state and local. So um, appreciate you seeing it as a return on investment. It certainly, you know, are not one-time funds to be spent frivolously. Let's help empower, if you will, our communities um, with this one-time opportunity. The county commissioners pledged to help invest funds upfront for grant writing and planning efforts, which might be necessary to capture federal dollars. If you ask Grace Franklin, access to family planning is essential to the health of a community. When we think about the health and well-being of a community, as well as the economic health and well-being of the community, um, it really does boil down to a couple different factors. But one of the leading ones is um, for um, women to be able to choose if and when they want to have kids, and it makes a huge impact. It's probably the top three determinants of how healthy a community may be, is people to be able to access reproductive services. Franklin is the public health director for San Miguel County. Historically, public health contracted with the Telluride Regional Medical Center to provide a family planning clinic to provide family planning and STI testing and care on a sliding scale for those who are un- or underinsured. In 2021, public health shifted things up a bit and provided funding directly to the Telluride Medical Center and Uncompagre Medical Center so the med centers themselves could provide those services. However, through that process, Franklin says, they began to recognize continuing gaps and barriers to care. In particular, um, our adolescents, um, especially uh, youth with insurance that didn't want to have their health insurance billed for contraceptive services or sexually uh, transmitted infection treatments or services as well, um, did not feel comfortable going into institutions where it's harder to make that confidential and supportive. At the same time, through Title X funding, Children's Hospital Colorado on the Front Range provides sliding scale care telehealth visits for family planning services. They currently have an online telehealth option for anybody in the state of Colorado to receive a provider visit um, over a video and then could get mailed contraceptive birth control. They could get mailed birth control. They can get a mailed STI kit, um, which is really great. And it's accessible at bc4, the number 4u.org, and people can access that now. But there's a challenge for those living in rural parts of the state, Franklin says. The issue is in remote areas like this, shipping, taking a, a swab, right? Let's say somebody has a burn or an uncomfortable. Um, they swab, self-swab. They mail it out. By the time they receive it, mail it, we all know it's probably going to be two weeks. And you don't really want somebody to be um, that uncomfortable or untreated um, if it's something serious for that long. So Children's Hospital came to Franklin and Public Health. Children's Hospital came to us and said, would you like for us to partner with you? We um, will give you iPads in which anybody 24 years and younger can um, do a telehealth visit with a provider based at Children's Hospital. And then depending on what's needed, we could have our RN, so our nurse, um, provide um, a swab for STI testing, um, pregnancy test, or dispense contraceptives on site. So it cuts through some of that back and forth with um, the birth control and STI testing shipment.
The program isn't running yet. This week, the Board of County Commissioners approved signing the contract with Children's Hospital. Once the contract is signed by both the BOCC and Children's, the program will go into effect, likely within the next month or two. Franklin reiterates, the purpose of the program is simple. I feel that there's still surprisingly a high amount of stigma and shame um, around accessing anything um, for sexual health. And especially in a small community, confidentiality is key. And not everybody has um, support or um, the means to access um, birth control, have that ability to um, control their own lives, right? And make um, decisions that reduce uh, different effects, right? Like whether it's unintended pregnancy, um, promoting uh, healthy sexual health, everything like that. So um, it's really a gap filler right now for the needs, continued needs of our community that we've been hearing from our partners, from parents, from the public um, to really expand and make low barrier access to these um, services. In the meantime and going forward, access to STI testing and treatment and contraception is still available at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and the Uncompahgre Medical Center. The valley floor is undoubtedly one of Telluride's prized spaces. Preserved for perpetuity in 2007 by a grassroots community effort, the stretch of marshland greets all those coming to Telluride with its iconic viewshed up the Bridal Vale and beyond. Dating back even longer than the valley floor's conservation is its progressive dinner, originally cooked up by the Nordic skier and outdoors advocate Cindy Farney. Yeah, I think it's been going on for at least 20 years, and she started the progressive dinner on the valley floor as a way to celebrate the natural environment, especially in the winter on the valley floor. She reached out to, to us, Sheep Mountain Alliance, to take it over a few years ago, and we really want to keep it going and saw it totally in line with our mission. That's Mason Osgood, the director of the environmental advocacy group Sheep Mountain Alliance, which now co-hosts the progressive dinner with the Telluride Open Space Commission. Ruthie Boyd, programs director at Sheep Mountain, says the dinner is a movable, moonlit feast. People can arrive to the valley floor by foot or on skis and join us in the loop by the Shell Station, where we will have three different stations set up throughout um, maybe like a half mile radius. Um, one of which, the first is a cider station where people can get hot apple cider. Um, and then they'll ski a bit down towards the soup station. Usually we have like a fire around that station as well. And then the third station is cookies, Food is donated by La Cocina de Luz and the Butcher and the Baker, and the ski trails are maintained by the Telluride Nordic Association. Along with other volunteers and partners, the event is a true community effort. Osgood says the event is time to correspond with the celestial calendar. The date changes every year. We try and coordinate it with the first full moon of the year. So I think this year it's really early because the mm -hmm. January full moon is the uh, first week of January. Um, and then, you know, the idea started was just to celebrate the open space that is the valley floor. And I think today, you know, it's such an amazing resource. We have totally free Nordic skiing and amazing groomed trails out there. And you can get out um, 
pretty deep into nature and in, in areas that um, in the summer you really wouldn't be able to get to. Boyd and Osgood say the progressive dinner is primarily about being in nature together in the depths of winter. There's always a bit of uh, singing, I think, or howling mm-hmm. to the moon mm-hmm. that I think is really special. Um, and it's just special to be outside at night in the winter with a bunch of people who are excited to be there. Um, and fingers crossed we have clear skies on Friday mm-hmm. for the full moon, um, but mm-hmm. certainly can't complain about precipitation right now. So Yeah. The full moon in January is the wolf moon, which makes howling especially relevant. Up ahead this season, Sheep Mountain is also planning ski and snowshoe days specifically for the region's Latinx community, as well as a series of talks at the library exploring Colorado water rights. More information about how to get involved or give back can be found at sheepmountainalliance.org. The Progressive Dinner is free and open to all and will take place on Friday, January 6th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. The world around us moves fast. It can be complex and unwieldy. Sometimes we need the opportunity to take a seat, slow down, and give yourself the space to heal. Next week, the Wilkinson Public Library will be hosting an AccuWellness event, an ear acupuncture treatment to ground and settle the body, mind, and spirit. When individuals arrive at the event, they will be offered a seat. Here's Diane Atkinson, a trained acupuncturist and traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, and one of the individuals organizing the event. We'll swab out their ears with an alcohol wipe and um, put in five needles in each ear, and then they just sit back and try to relax. We'll have some some you know soothing music playing. But Ray Schaffner, a therapist also organizing the event, notes in addition to the needles themselves. AccuWellness is about finding stillness. There's as much value as in the slowing down um, as there is in the needles. We live in an endlessly distracted world, you know, all of us. Like sometimes just being with these emotions are uncomfortable or they're untimely. And so even if you just create this pocket of space of 15 minutes for people to not like you're, you don't have your cell phone in your hand, you don't, you know, have a drink in your hand, you're, you're not you know, you're not skiing the mountain, just you take away these things that, you know, sometimes are wonderful distractions and sometimes are just distractions and and uh, just create a space. AccuWellness will take place on Monday, January 9th at the library from 5 to 6 p.m. There is no need to sign up in advance and individuals can stay for as long or short as they see fit. The next time you update your vehicle registration, you'll be getting more than just the legal allowance to drive your car. You'll also get free access to Colorado State Parks through the new Keep Colorado Wild Pass. In 2021, lawmakers passed a law to automatically include the pass on all vehicle registrations with the cost of $29. The fee is included in the registration price for all vehicles, motorcycles, and light trucks, but individuals are given the opportunity to opt out. Colorado Parks and Wildlife notes the funds raised from the past will not only go towards the entrance to state parks, it will also help fund research and rescue teams, avalanche safety programs, wildlife conservation efforts, and outdoor accessibility and educational opportunities. 
Sentencing in the largest body brokering case in the nation took place on Tuesday in U.S. District Court in Grand Junction. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young has the details. Megan Hess and Shirley Koch were sentenced to 20 years and 15 years respectively in U.S. District Court on Tuesday for mail fraud in connection with a body brokering scheme at their Montrose funeral home. It was just... um surreal when the judge said 20 years. That's State Representative Matt Soper, who was in the Grand Junction courtroom. The case against the mother-daughter team began when the FBI raided the funeral home and donor services in Montrose in 2018. Following a lengthy investigation, Hess and Koch were indicted in 2020 and pled guilty to a single count of mail fraud two years later. Hess twice attempted to postpone the sentencing, but on January 3rd, after hours of victim impact statements, remarks from the FBI and the prosecution, the sentence was handed down. For the victims, today was a sense of closure. They get to start the new year, hopefully at peace, knowing we've changed the law in Colorado. We saw the perpetrators receive um, the highest penalty under federal law. And now we can move forward. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio and KBNF, I'm Lisa Young. Last October, concerns about racial intolerance among administrative staff at the city of Durango led to the resignation of four members of the city's Community Relations Commission. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD looked into the past and future of the commission. The Community Relations Commission was established in 2019 by the city to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. At the commission's recommendation, Durango established gender-neutral bathrooms and started doing live Spanish translations of city meetings. And the city reinstated a bus route extension that served residents at the Westside Mobile Home Park west of the city. Here's Olivia de Pablo Lopez, one of five members of the commission. A lot of these people don't have cars, people that are working class communities, and the city graciously decided to return the route. And it was beautiful because the bus was filled with uh, immigrants and also children. And they were chanting, si se puede, yes we can. It was beautiful. But there was also tension over the commission's advisory role. Terza Camacho served as chair. Whereas our involvement was productive. The only power that we have technically was to make a recommendation to city council, right? We could draft recommendations, we could talk about issues, we could leverage issues from the community. Ultimately, what the council does with that is whatever they choose. On October 9th of last year, an employee at the city of Durango published a post on the city's Facebook page. The city had a new staff who decided to post uh, Happy Columbus Day. And of course, uh, some of my colleagues and myself also were disappointed to see that. The post had a quote from Christopher Columbus and a clip art photo of Columbus standing next to a ship. To many, Columbus is a symbol of Native American genocide. The post was removed within a few hours, and the city issued a statement on his Facebook page that there was, quote, no ill intent involved. But more criticism came in the weeks following. My position is that I think an apology was made. Here's Durango Council Member Melissa Youssef at the city's November 15th meeting. And I think it was... A legitimate uh, error. Um, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't meant to hurt or harm 
Uh, apology was made by staff. It was corrected. It was taken down immediately. But the Community Relations Commission demanded the city issue a formal public apology. The city declined. Here's Terza Camacho. To botch it and then deny an apology and to not understand how dangerous that, that is in these times, um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to stomach. On November 17, Terza Camacho and three other commission members announced they would resign. Outside a coffee shop on Main Street, Camacho says resigning was the right decision for her. It's very real to talk about what activism does to people of color, um, to their bodies, to their peace. The adversity was culminating to a point where I just couldn't, I couldn't subject myself to it much longer. But Olivia de Pablo Lopez decided to remain on the commission. She's currently the only member. I decided to stay because, to the best of my knowledge, if we were all gone, the CRC was going to disappear. If you're here to be an activist, you don't leave. And although I understand there's justified anger and a lot of historical trauma, we also need to find paths for healing. And this highlights the key challenge for the city of Durango. When it comes to social inequity and historical trauma, the path to healing is not easy or clear. For some, the Columbus Day posting was an egregious insult. To others, it was a simple mistake. Here's Durango City Mayor Pro Tem, Melissa Youssef, on the resignation of commission members. I was sorry to see them leave on that note, um, which was unfortunate, but it didn't make a lot of sense of us to, to continue to uh, focus on that one error. They did do some really good work for the efforts that they put forward. Youssef says the city will decide in February how it will reform the Community Relations Commission. Discussions have focused on making the CRC a community and region-wide commission that can represent the city, county, 9R, and FLC. The commission would be more effective representing the entire community. As the sole remaining member, Olivia de Pablo Lopez is pushing the city to emphasize diversity in its new appointments. I feel confident that the CRC will survive. And I feel confident that we'll get other people of color also to sit on. CRC is not going to disappear. It's not. I, that's, that's my hope, and I'll do whatever it takes. Elected city officials and city administrators can be sure that whatever decisions they make in February will be closely watched by four former members of the commission. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with an inch of snow accumulation possible and a low around 25 degrees. Friday calls for more snow with 1 to 3 inches of accumulation possible and a high near 30. Friday night should be mostly clear with some lingering snow and a low around 10 degrees. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high near 30 and Saturday night calls for clouds with a low near 10 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, January 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.